Greetings, brother. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we, we just lift up this brother. We know that as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no doubt he feels his own weakness, his own inadequacy. And, and so, Father, I just pray for an anointing this morning, for the empowerment of your spirit, that the quivering of flesh might be stopped and that the power of the Holy Ghost might just descend upon us and especially on our dear brother, Father. I pray for the purging of any dross in his life and, and for the kindling of, a, of the fire, a flame from off the altar, Father. I pray that you would just take him and use him as a vessel for your glory and stir your people this morning to the realities of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning and Christian greetings to each of you. It's a joy to be here with you. We have the promise in God's word from the Lord Jesus himself. I will build my church. Now we recognize that the Lord Jesus has been doing a very good job of doing what he can do and needs to do in order for his church to be built. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, how well are we doing? So this morning we'll take the Word of God and we'll allow the Word of God to speak to our hearts and hopefully inspire us to be the kind of people that God can use in the building of His church. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the topic of our subject this morning is, Upon this rock... And so our focus is going to be upon the rock. And we will look at the, the rock as it was concealed in the Old Testament, the rock as it was revealed in the New Testament, and our call, our responsibility as God's people, people of faith, to revere that rock. Using 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a springboard this morning, we recognize, and I think I've sensed it among your brothers as we've been sharing together and as we've been praying together, that we need wisdom and we need grace to know how to live in this our day. We're aware that there's a lot of factions in the body of Christ, and we all know that that's not God's will for us. That's not according to the prayer of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know that. But somehow we find it difficult in our hearts and our minds to comprehend how it is that we can come together in unity around the realities of Jesus Christ and be one body in Him. And so this morning, I just trust as we go through the Scriptures and we share Scriptures together, I trust that you're enthused about the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, I'll thank you for turning the lights on, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, have a pen handy, underline script. If the Lord speaks to you, speaks a word to your heart, underline that, meditate upon it, and pray that into your heart that it might become a part of you. We desperately need the Word of God and graft it into our hearts and lives. We desperately need that. The Scripture says that pride cometh only by what? Contention. 
but with the well-advised, there is wisdom. My message this morning is going to be very cognitive. You're going to have to engage your mind. We like to have our emotions stirred, don't we? And we like a message that makes us feel good and feel alive and feel close to God. But really, we need to think rightly about who God is and what He has done for us in order for our emotions to be brought in line with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And so let's take the Word of God this morning and allow the truth of God's Word to settle deep into our hearts and minds and become a part of us. Paul had a passion to know the rock. And his prayer was that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. He says, I'm willing to suffer that I might be conformed into his image. He wanted to experience that resurrection power in his life. And this morning, I trust that God can stir in our hearts a desire to know him. To be completely, totally fascinated and passionate about the rock Jesus Christ upon which we build our lives and he wants to build the church. Reading from 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 and then we'll skip a few verses and pick up again verse 11 and 12 and drop down to 17. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. Now this is talking about having our minds set on the rock. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to think rightly. I would not that you be ignorant, but that you should, how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat of that same spiritual meat and did all drink of that same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was everyone together. That rock was Christ. So who is the rock? Christ Christ is the rock. It was then, it is today. He is that rock. Now these things were for our example. I'm sorry, let's let's start at verse 5. But many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. And it goes on to name all the sins that they fell into. And basically what it is saying to us is that you have one of two choices in life. Either you're going to rest in the rock. You're going to enter into that rest that there is in the rock. Or you're going to pursue life on your own terms. And it points out very clearly to us that it always ends in death. Every time you try to save your life, live it the way you want to live it, and you will die spiritually. You come to the rock Christ Jesus and you will find life. Verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written in the Word of God. And we have it here this morning to read for our admonition. That we might have wisdom and grace upon whom the ends of the world are come. Who's that? Who's living in the time of the end of the world? That time of the church age. That's you and I. 2014. These things were written here so that the Christians in 2014 that are gathered at Roxbury 
might understand that there are examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of what it looks like and what it means for us to be built upon the rock Jesus Christ, that sure foundation. Dropping down to verse 17. For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. And essentially what he is telling us here is that we are, in the eyes of God, as he looks upon his people on the earth, we are not many, but we are what? We are one. And every time you take of the communion cup, and every time you break bread with your brothers and your sisters, you're testifying to the world that we are not many, but that we are indeed one body in Christ, and that Christ Jesus is our only and exclusive hope. That's our testimony. If we back up to verse 6, back up to verse 4, they all did drink of that same, what kind of drink were they drinking of? Everybody together? Spiritual drink. It's a spiritual drink. And they drank of that, what kind of a rock was it? It was a spiritual rock. That word spiritual there means miraculous and supernatural. I like that. Is the Lord Jesus Christ our rock miraculous? Absolutely. Is He supernatural? Greater is He that is in than He that is in the Will he build his church? Does he have the power he needs to build his church? Absolutely. And he will build his church upon the rock, which is, which is Christ. What we want to do this morning, rather than me just standing here and telling you a lot of things that you already know, let's just go back and starting with Moses and the prophets in Exodus, let's just work through the scriptures together. Would that be okay? There's nothing as powerful as the Word of God, right? So let's just start back in Exodus. And let's see what we find. Let's see what we can learn. These things were written for our example. That in 2014 we might be established as one people upon that one rock, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Starting in verse, uh, chapter 17 of Exodus. I'm going to be going through this very quickly, so try to, try to follow along. There's something beautifully therapeutic about just following through the scriptures and turning to the passages. Exodus 17, we have the story of the children of Israel as they were going through the wilderness. And they come to a point in their lives where they don't have any water. Now, is water important? Absolutely important. Physically? How about spiritually? Uh Uh-huh. Very important. You die very quickly if you do not have water. These people ran out of water and they were in the wilderness. God was taking them to the promised land. Now they had the idea that God was taking them to the promised land. He wanted to get them there just as quick as possible. Was that God's idea? No, God wanted to bring them. What does the scripture say? God wanted to bring them to himself. To a place where they entered into a rest in him as their provider. As the only one that could sustain them in this barren wilderness. Is God wanting to get you through this wilderness as quickly as He can and to heaven? Or does He want to bring you to Himself? 
Absolutely. To where your spirit rests entirely in the rock Christ Jesus. You see, what we need, if, if Christ is going to be able to use you as a lively stone upon his foundation that he has established, it's very important that we come to that point in our lives where we are complete in him. Between 3 and 4 o'clock this morning, all the brothers should have been to prayer chapel. We did our best to sing that song. Complete in Him, no work of mine. We are complete in Him. And because of that, because of that blood that was shed, we will stand one day before the judgment throne, complete in Him. And if we are going to be used by God, I see Brother Matt smiling. I think he might be one of the brothers helping us sing here this morning. If we're, going to be, if we're going to be used by God as lively stones in the kingdom, we must, in our personal lives, be men and women who are complete in Christ, who have come to that resting place where we have established our lives upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that He is the one who is our provider. And what we see happening here is the children, are, the children of Israel are without water. And rather than trust God for it, what do they do? They start complaining. I know none of you ever do that. At least I hope you don't. But they started to complain. And so Moses goes to God and God says, here's what you need to do. You need to get the children of Israel together. You gather them together. And you assemble them before a rock. And we're going to pick up the story here in verse 6 of chapter 17. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so you have this beautiful picture of, they're in Mount Horeb, and there's this rock there. And the, the glory of God that had been following them as a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night comes, and it stands upon that rock. And Moses comes with all the people gathered around and all the elders there, and he takes his staff And he strikes that rock, and something miraculous, something supernatural happens, and out of this rock comes a a river of water. Can you imagine that? Enough water to quench the thirst of some two million people with all their livestock. That is incredible. It is miraculous, and it is supernatural, and it is a type of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who hung on the tree, the rock nailed to a tree, who was smitten of men. And out of his inmost being, out of his very body, flowed a river of life-giving blood that covers your sins and my sins. Quenches that insatiable thirst within our hearts to be reconciled to God, to have our conscience cleansed from all evil, and to stand justified positionally justified in the sight of God. And then we pick up the story again. And remember, the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, and they're wandering through the wilderness. How many years are they wandering through the wilderness? Forty years they're wandering in the wilderness because of the lack of faith that God could provide for them. And we come to chapter 17. We were just in chapter 17. We want to go to Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, we pick up the story again. In Numbers chapter 20, they come to the same situation. As I understand, it's a little different location. 
But if we, if we would take the time and read it, I trust you will in your own time, read chapter 20 there, you find it there, we're in an extremely barren place, there's no food, there's no nothing. In fact, it's called an evil place, because there is just nothing here to sustain them. In 2014, as Christians, we walk through an evil land. There's nothing here to sustain us on this earth. Our only hope is in Christ. And they're in this evil land, and once again, they're being sustained by the Lord. He brings manna to them every morning. He brings quail to them. He's providing for them. But they're thirsty, very thirsty. So thirsty that they're convinced that they're going to die. So thirsty that they're going to take Moses, our leader, who has led them up out of Egypt, And they're going to stone him. And they come to him and they're complaining to him. And we'll pick up the story in verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto... What was that? What did he say you're supposed to do to the rock? Speak to the rock. Sounds familiar to the last time, doesn't it? In Exodus 17. But there is a very distinct difference here. God speaks very specifically to Moses and says, Moses, speak to the rock. And what do we see that happens in Moses in verse 9? He took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together in verse 10 before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, and he smote the rod, the rock twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, they and their beasts, dropping down to verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring the congregation into the land which I gave unto them. This is a type of Christ, the resurrected Christ. And what happened when Moses, if Moses would simply have spoken to that rock, what would have happened? Would water have come out of that rock? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sufficient water? Absolutely. Christ was smitten for mankind one time. We come as his children. We come to that rock To be sustained. We come there to have our thirst quenched. And there is enough water for us. By this time, historians estimate that there was two and a half million men, women, and children. Plus their livestock. The children of Israel were known to have lived there for over one year. They were there for the duration of the time that God intended for them to live there. And that water flowed from that rock for over one year's time. I think it was back in 19, or 1824, 1835, something like that, that Dr. Drew and his team actually found a rock that they believe was this rock. There was evidence yet in that time that large volumes of water had flown from this rock. The psalmist says that you have op- opened up the rock and rivers have flown into the desert. That rock was a type of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom we come for that supernatural water that we need to sustain us as Christians. There is nothing else that can quench that thirst within your heart but Jesus Christ. And there is sufficient there. 
And we don't come and re-crucify Him and re-crucify Him over and over. No, no. We have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ and we come to Him and we speak. You need the Holy Spirit? Ask. I love to give it, He says. I love to give you good things more than you as human fathers like to give good things to your children. We have our needs met What, 75% in the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think, brothers and sisters? What does the Scripture say? Ye are complete in Him. All of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. Not 75% of your thirst. What are you thirsting for the things of the world for? Why do you keep looking over there and thinking it has anything to offer you? The only time that happens in our lives is when we are not standing in amazement before the rock. Living in obedience to Christ and drinking of the living water that he has promised to us. Moses took some credit to himself, did he not? He said, do I have to do this for you? That's a good way to miss the blessing of God. It's a good way to shut up the channels of grace that God wants to flow through you. We need to be complete in Christ and find our completeness in Him and in Him alone. I'd like for us to look at a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 32 next. Deuteronomy chapter 32. I just want us to see how that God has established Christ Jesus as that rock in our lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, He says, Give your... O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as rain, and my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. Verse 4, let's all read together. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. He is a rock by virtue of His character. He is unchanging. The Scripture tells us that that rock, uh, historians would tell us that it was 10 foot by 15 foot by 12 foot high, and it was flint, hard, rigid. Unmovable. The character of Jesus Christ, His righteousness, it never changes. It does not erode with time. His holiness is as, He's as holy today as He was in eternity past. He never changes. And neither does His blessing to us and His ability to meet our needs. It never changes. He's rock solid. You can depend on Him. You can rest in the God that He is. Let's just drop down to verse 15. Just a comment here. He's talking about Israel, and this is a prophecy of the tendency of the human heart. He says that we tend to grow fat. We tend to kick against what God wants to do in our lives. We can't tend to resist the idea that our life can and and must be founded upon that rock and only upon that rock, Christ Jesus. And what he says here in the last part of verse 15 is that the problem is that we what? The last sentence there is is that we lightly what? What's that next word? We lightly esteem what? The rock. Just any rock? The rock of our salvation. 
We lightly esteem the rock of our salvation. And I trust that the Word of God is living and alive in your heart and stirring your heart. That you are growing in your love and your appreciation for the rock of our salvation. Over to verse 31. Let's read that first part of that verse together. For their rock is not as our rock. Do you believe that? The greatest document that was ever written is the United States Constitution. Right or wrong? That's wrong. Absolutely wrong. The rock that we serve is so different from any other rock that men have ever established or endeavored to try to establish their lives upon. Our rock is not like their rock. And what does it say there in the last part of that verse? That even they themselves are the judges of this. The world knows. If we live with our lives based upon the rock Jesus Christ, the world knows that our rock is not like their rock. And deep in their hearts, they want to be established upon that one true rock, the foundation stone. Turn to Daniel with me. Let's stop in Isaiah just real quickly. Isaiah, on the way to Daniel. In Isaiah chapter 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, this is chapter 28, I'm sorry brothers and sisters, verse 20, chapter 28, verse 16. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious corner stone. A sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. And that word make haste there means that we're not going to be moved. We're not going to be shaken. We're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to be confounded or confused with all that is going on in the world. You won't even be confused by the many denominations that exist in so-called Christianity. It's not going to confuse you if you are built upon that one rock, Christ Jesus. It's important that we understand we don't have time to take this apart but let me just describe what comes to my mind. Sometimes we build buildings on what we call a monolithic slab. You know what a monolithic slab is? Any contractors in here? Where you form up and you pour a floor system, concrete footers, everything all together as one system. And you, you load it with rebar and reinforcing wire. The concrete determines the diameter. It supports everything that is built upon it. And you, you form that and you pour that perfectly square and perfectly to dimension. The, the framing crew comes out and they build that building by that foundation. We send a guy out and he measures everything directly off of that foundation. All the walls are plumbed straight off of that foundation. You dare not deviate from that foundation. If you have a 40-foot foundation and you build a 48-foot wall, do you have a problem? Yeah. Absolutely. Who laid this foundation stone? God laid the foundation stone. And that foundation stone is who? It is Christ. It was Christ. It will always be Christ. And that just helps me to think about it in that way. Those who build on the foundation stone Jesus Christ shall never be confounded. And I see our time is going quickly, so let's stop in at Daniel on the way to the New Testament. And we notice in Daniel chapter 2, we won't take time to go through all of this, there's a couple of verses here that really bring 
the power of God to rest on the church today. In Daniel chapter 2, we have that great story of the image that Nebuchadnezzar seen in his dream. And you have the, the head of gold, which is solidarity. In the church of Jesus Christ, we need solidarity. A head of gold is never going to do it. But how about if we put Jesus Christ as a head and we all work together to hold up Jesus Christ as a head? Does that bring solidarity to the church of Jesus Christ? And what we can learn from this image is that when there was solidarity, there was strength. Is that right? Absolutely. And then we come down through and everything digresses. And as things, as factions split and splintered, each part has a personal interest, has selfish motives. And we finally come down through to where you have clay and Aaron being mixed together. It says that this is of the seed of man. It is the selfish nature of men to want something out of it for myself rather than to honor God by declaring that He is my all in all. That He is my life, He is my hope, He is my salvation. He is the one only true foundation for the church. And we measure ourselves to Him. His Word is the plumb line that we hold our lives up against. And our lives are crooked. But as we hold it up against the Lord Jesus Christ, the low is brought up, the high is brought down, and the crooked is made straight in our lives. What a tremendous blessing that we have this foundation. And Daniel, in speaking to the, the king here, if I can just find a couple of verses here that we'll, we'll look at just, just briefly. Just one promise here, if I can get my eyes on it. In chapter 2, Daniel says that there is a... I can't get my eyes on it, so I'll just tell you that there is a rock that is hewn out of a mountain... It's in the last days of the kingdom. Actually, what we need to understand to understand this is that the prophets did not see the church age. It was a mystery that was not revealed until Jesus Christ came. It is that mystery the prophets seen only the coming of Christ, His first coming, and they've seen His second coming. They did not see the church age in which we live right now. And so that's why you have many of the prophets, prophecies in the Old Testament that prophesy about the first coming of Christ and in the same prophecy jump right to the second coming of Christ because they totally were shielded by the Spirit of God from seeing the church age that we are now experiencing right now. But Daniel says here that in the days when things are shattered and the world is a mess, that there is going to be a rock who is hewn out of a mountain without hands a supernatural spiritual rock our rock christ jesus is a supernatural rock he's a spiritual rock and he was supernatural in his birth was he not absolutely without hands he was born of god of a seed of a woman god became man and dwelt among us and he is going to establish his kingdom that is going to fill the whole earth it is going to crush all the governments of the earth. It's going to fill the earth with His glory. And I believe that that is futuristic. That is yet to happen. It is beginning to happen even now in our day. But it's going to happen in its fullness when God claims the earth for Himself and establishes His kingdom in heaven and earth forever and forever. But he says this in Daniel chapter 2, that the prophecy is a probability, right? Probably about a 75 probability. Is that what he says? 
What does he say? It is sure. It is guaranteed. It will happen. Are you living that way? That's a question for us. Are we living with that kind of confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then we come to the New Testament. And we're told that when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a virgin, made under the law. He subjected Himself to the law. He subjected Himself to the curse of our sin. He was made sin for us. And the mystery of the church's one foundation was revealed, was it not? Hastening on, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Matthew seven twenty four, And John says, We beheld His glory as of the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the Old Testament, it was the character of God, the rock carved in stone, the law of God. In the New Testament, we see the Father heart of God, revealed in the giving of His very best, His Son, His only Son, that the world would not perish for violating and breaking His law. And in chapter 7, Just a few things I want to point out here. How can we be building upon that one true foundation is a question. And Jesus answers that question for us. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He says it's about the attitude of your heart. Christianity is about letting the Lord Jesus Christ meet every need in your heart and life. Why do we struggle so much? It's because we go about trying to meet our own needs. We go about trying to have other people meet our needs or organizations meet our needs or having the church meet our needs. How about that? Do we do that? We say, you know what, this church isn't meeting my needs. I think I'll go find another one. That's the attitude we live with. You know that's idolatry? To look for anything to meet your need in life apart from Jesus Christ is idolatry. We come to that rock, Jesus Christ, and we ask in faith, Father, I have needs. We all have needs. We all want to live, right? Has that need been met in Christ Jesus? Absolutely. Every need in our lives has been met in Christ and dare only be sought to have been met in Christ. And when we find that need met in Christ, it does something in our hearts. It changes our hearts. It gives us a heart that wants to be like Jesus. It changes our attitudes. And Jesus has been teaching about how our attitudes change. We become a people who are broken, a people who are humble, a people who are passionate about the things that God is passionate about. He's been teaching that. And he says this in in, in Matthew chapter 7. Starting at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. What was that words? Doeth them. I will liken him unto a man that built his house upon a rock. And when the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew. The house stood because it was founded upon that rock, Jesus Christ. Now, it isn't a question as to whether the floods and the rains and the winds are going to come. That's going to happen. It is by much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. As sure as sparks fly upward, a man is born under trouble. And serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, and mind, Paul said sometimes in doing that, 
He despaired of life itself. We take the kingdom not with ease, but we strive to enter in. And Jesus said that the way you build upon the rock is you do the things that I have commanded you. Obedience is essential. It is important. If you want to find life, then you obey the commands of Christ. And they're not grievous to those who love Him. Not at all. We obey His commands. In verse 26, He says that if you want to build on the sand, there's just one word different. You do with them what? Not. Not. The difference between building on the rock and building on human wisdom, human intellect, emotion is between obeying Christ's commands and not obeying Christ's commands. If you build on the rock, your house is going to, your life is going to stand. If you build on the sand, it's going to collapse. We're going to skip over a few passages here, so just bear with me as I try to sort down through. Let's go to uh, Matthew 21, just for a few thoughts. And here you have Jesus sharing of the importance of recognizing and reverencing Him as the rock. We reverence Him. We respect Him. We do not fight against Him. How many people do you know that constantly try to live out their own lives with their own wisdom? Try to find pleasure in the things of this world. Oh, they name the name of Christ. But they're also trying to find fulfillment in this life. It's people like that that end up playing havoc in the church. And dividing churches, dividing fellowships, because they're looking for something in it for themselves. Jesus Christ says, I am a bulwark. I am flint. My truth will not move. It will not move for anybody. It won't move for any group of people. It is rock solid. You bring your life and you build it upon me. You bring it into my dimensions that has been established from eternity past. And you will find life. You fight against me, and what will happen? Let me see if I can find my verse here. It's in chapter 16 of Matthew. He says in verse 18, And I say unto thee, uh, I'm, not, I'm not in the right passage. I was in 21, where Jesus, chapter 21, where Jesus says this. He says that if you fall upon a rock, you're going to be injured. You can spend your entire life just bucking up against what God's trying to do in your life. What's He trying to do in your life? He's trying to bring you to brokenness and establish you upon the rock. And if you fight that, you're going to hurt yourself. And He's actually talking about the way the Jews executed men through stoning. And they'd take them up on a scaffolding and they would throw them off onto a rock. And if that didn't take their life, then they would grab this huge rock. Two men would pick it up and drop it from the scaffolding on top of the person. Gory. That's an awful way to die. And what he's saying is, if you struggle against that foundation stone, my truth that I am, you're going to beat yourself up all your life long, and at the end of life, that rock is going to be dropped on you. My truth will stand in judgment. He says, one day, my word will judge you. So it's very important, brothers and sisters, that we bring our life and have Allow the Lord Jesus Christ to establish it upon the rock that He is. He is the foundation for our lives, and we need to be strong in Him, for Him, so that we can be strong in our families, so that we can be strong in our communities. Churches are only as strong as the families. Is that right? 
Families are only as strong as the moms and dads that make up the family. So it's extremely important if we're going to have strong churches that are united around the rock Christ Jesus and established upon Him, it's extremely important that in our personal lives that Jesus Christ is everything to us. That we love Him with our heart, soul, mind, will. And if you love Him with everything that is about you, your entire passion, guess what? It affects your relationship with those around you. Is that right? It reflects your relationship with your wife and your children, your neighbors, your community. And let me ask you, does it affect your relationship with your brothers and sisters at church where you worship? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it edify the body? Absolutely. It's the only way. When we are established upon Christ Jesus as the rock and we are holding his head as a final authority in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, then we are united. We are one. Oh, there might be differences in our culture. Every family has its own culture. I might have my devotions with my family at 5 o'clock in the morning. You might do it at 6 o'clock in the evening. Is there any right or wrong about that? Absolutely not. Is that within the parameters of God's will for us? Absolutely. The important thing is, are we united on the rock? The one rock who is Christ Jesus. Where's your life at? Are you sold out to Christ Jesus? Are you passionate about Him? Are you finding your needs completely met in Him? In our day, in every age, there has been this strong tendency to allow our eyes to drop and to think that the world has something to offer us. And with the ways in which the world has been invading our homes with cell phones and internet, things that can be useful tools, more and more we find that the world's thinking and the corruption of the world enters into the hearts of those who want to be right with God. And we can very easily become ensnared. I want to encourage you, if sitting here as you are this morning, there's anything between you and your passion for your Lord and Savior, that rock. Don't go on. Without confessing, without recognizing that as human beings, we need the body of Christ. We need that accountability. Confessing your faults one to another. Praying one for another. That we might what? That the gospel of Jesus Christ might be experienced in our lives and in our brotherhoods. If you're struggling, I just want to urge you, don't leave this weekend without finding some brothers to share your heart with, to confess. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about reconciliation. It's about us coming and acknowledging our, our brokenness, our weaknesses, our sins, confessing them, and then moving on in the glorious forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ said, come to the rock. He stood on that great day of the feast. He said, is there anyone here that's thirsty? Anyone that's thirsty? Come to the rock and ask. And I will give you to the extent that out of your inmost being there will flow rivers of living water in this desert land in which you live. 
I will make you channels of grace. And you will be a blessing to all those around you. You will be a blessing to your brotherhood. You will edify the body of Christ. You will help Him in His labors to build up His body. We have so many distractions in our day. Do not let sin reside in your heart. He calls us to holiness. He is holy. Be thou holy. We are out of time here this morning. I just want to close with uh, a few thoughts from one scripture here yet, if I can can find it. Um, let's turn together to Acts 14. Actually, let's skip that, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul was telling the body of believers at, at Ephesus, this is your position in Christ. It's important that you know what your position is, is in Christ. It's important that you're established upon that rock and you know that positionally you are sanctified before the Father through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood being applied to your life. Very important that you're thinking right about this, brothers and sisters. That's what Paul says. And he says that this happens within the context. There's one verse here, if I can find it, in chapter 2. We were actually going to spend some time in chapter 2. We won't do that much here. But he says in verse 20 that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And what's important for us to understand in that passage of Scripture is that the scholars tell us that the way that that is uh, constructed in, in Greek, that it, uh, it is an active noun, which means, if I can just explain it in layman's terms, that contrary to the way we think, Christ isn't this cornerstone, and then the apostles and prophets added to it. Christ is this cornerstone. He defines the parameters. He defines the absolute total foundation. And the apostles as lively stones kept their lives in line with that, the parameters of Jesus Christ. His authority. His word. He very clearly told them, you do not step outside. You do not take away from. You don't add to. They built their lives. This passage tells us they built their lives upon that foundation, Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge to every one of you as believers in 2014, that we keep our lives built upon Jesus Christ. We want to go to chapter 5 in closing our thoughts here this morning. In chapter 5, we have this beautiful passage of Scripture that I like to soak in. And the thought I want to leave with you is that Christ will build His church. He is building His church. You have the glorious privilege of being a part of that glorious building that He is building. And there's no reason for you to be confused about all the confusion in the world. This is a promise. If you're building upon Jesus Christ, you will not come into confusion. Now or in the day of judgment. You will be part of that bride because Christ will have His bride. Is that right? There will be a bride of Christ. He will have His bride. He has done His part. He has made it possible for us. He has invited us. He has given His life that we might have life. He says, all you have to do now is live 
before the rock that I am and ask me. And I will give you abundant water. Spiritual, supernatural water that will cleanse you and energize you. And make you a vessel that I can use to bring refreshment to others. To edify the body. That's His promise to us. Here's something we need to understand. Because one of the things that is so distracting in the body of Christ today is the ugliness of the bride. Does that bother you sometimes? Really? All right. Husbands, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And I want you to soak in that scripture more than just today. Because what that scripture tells us is that at some future time, his church will be spotless. It will be without blemish. What this tells us is that he is right now today doing a work in his body through his shed blood and through the work of his spirit so that at some future time, not right now, but at some future time, his church will be presented as beautiful. If you expect the church to be spotless and beautiful, you got a misconception. You probably bought into the American mindset of what beauty is and what the church is all about. The church is about the rock that we're built upon. And we're all here. And how many of you have areas in your lives, attitudes, things that you know the Lord Jesus Christ still wants to change in your life. There's the ugliness right there. And don't be distracted by it. He's doing a work. And one day we'll be perfect, brothers and sisters. If we build on that rock, Christ Jesus, to stay faithful to Him. Remember as a boy, a young boy, over in Southgate Mall, there was a grocery store called Country Market. And as a young boy, I went there frequently with my parents to, to get groceries about once a week. And over a period of about three or four years, there was three encounters there that shook my life. We walked in there, and there was this man who looked like a football player. He looked like every one of us would like to look like in our carnal nature. I mean, he was six foot four. He probably weighed in at 250, 275, and it was all muscle. And he, he, his shoulders looked like they wouldn't go through a three-foot door. And his arms were larger than my legs. He was just, he was built. His wife was just so different. That poor girl was just about yay tall. And she walked with a hump on her shoulder. She couldn't even walk straight. She had bone structure that was missing. On this side of her face, it was caved in. And if that wasn't bad enough, this entire side of her face was covered with an ugly birthmark that ran the whole way down her neck. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what was he thinking? 
I mean, really. A man like that to choose a girl like that. She was hard to look at. And children would walk by and geek at her. And adults had a hard time trying to know what to make of it. But he would push that grocery cart for that little lady. And she would put the groceries in and he would take it over and he'd pay for it at the cash register and take it out and put it into the car. And every time I seen that, I just wondered, what would that be like to have made a choice like that? And I wondered if he ever regretted it on his wedding day when they were standing there with the family. I mean, how could you stand in front of the church and smile as she came up the aisle, knowing that for the rest of your life you're committing yourself to something that looked like that? And that every time you went to the grocery store, every time you went anywhere, people would look at you and geek at you and wonder how you did it. The last time I seen that couple, they were crossing the parking lot. He was pushing the cart, and there was a little child in the cart, and their groceries. And he had a smile on his face. And I had this understanding that somewhere in that little girl's heart, that man had seen something that the world did not see. If today you're here and you've been distracted by the ugliness of the bride, I want to invite you to allow your heart to be undistracted by the bride and to stand in amazement at the bridegroom who sees something in that little girl that most of us don't see. And on top of that, he knows that his father has set a wedding day. And if you can distract your heart from her ugliness and focus on him, that rock that he is, just for the short time that we have on this earth, I promise you that you'll be there. And you'll be part of that little girl. When he miraculously touches her and she becomes his glorious bride for all of eternity. Today, today, hear the Spirit, hear the bride. They say, come. There's water enough to quench that thirst in your soul. But you've got a promise that you're going to love the bridegroom with everything within you. He's the rock of our lives. He's the rock of his church. And as we trust in him, as we love him, we will one day be one around that throne where we worship him forever. God bless you. Thank you, Brother John. That was a tremendous message, excellent instruction for us. I thought about a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
I believe it's in verse 6 that Peter says, It is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And just prior to that, he makes reference to us. And he says, Ye also as lively stones, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, if I were doing the building, I would want to choose rocks like Brother John explained, that rock of flint in the wilderness, rocks that were solid, rocks that wouldn't wear, rocks that wouldn't erode. That's the kind of rock I would want to choose if I were a mason laying up a building. That's not the kind of rock that God chose. He laid the foundation stone, Jesus Christ, elect precious. But on that foundation stone, he has placed lively stones, living stones. Living stones move. Living stones grow. Living stones change shape in the work of sanctification. And perhaps that's a part of the reason why we don't see the perfect building that we'd like to see as we look at the church, because we've got growth here. We've got some contraction over here, and the building is shifting and moving. But God's in control of this. Thank you again. It's been a very blessed experience to just worship together and think about upon this rock.